0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits, the show where two geeks talk about God. I'm geek number one, Luke Navarro, and with me, as always, geek number two, Mrs. Paula Abdul. How are you tonight, Paula? Seriously? <laughs> on, on two podcasts, you're going to do
1: this? It was bad enough that I, I turn in, I tune in like the regular loyal listener that I am to Guys Can Read, (laughs) and I hear that in the, in the world of Guys Can Read, you are whatever his name is, and then, then Kevin is, is Randy, and I'm Paula. Of all the hosts that have ever graced that awful, awful show, you pick Paula Abdul for me.
0: Yeah, see, this is one of those, like, really good object lessons, you know, one of those life experience lessons, that the uncontrolled tongue can do things you don't really want it to do,
1: you know? Uh Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm still gonna, I, 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 you know, you're gonna pay. I don't know how, and I don't know when, but you're gonna pay for calling me Paula Abdul.
0: So, folks, this is actually Mike Perna.
1: Yes, that is my actual name.
0: How are you today, Mike?
1: I love the tone that you use. I am ecstatic. I am on Cloud9, and I don't even know how to fathom where I am right now.
0: (laughs) It seems like a really accurate uh, description, and why is it that you find yourself on Cloud9?
1: Well, normally in this part of our podcast, for those of you who've listened before, this is where we talk about the geeky things we've done in our week. This is true. And and normally, it's about this time when I would say things like, I'm gearing up for Halloween and getting ready for, you know, costumed dodgeball with my youth group. Or I'm playing Island of the Dead, which is a zombie epic. And I could talk about all these things. Uh, but no, because there's one thing that happened this week that will trump all of them. And that is the fact that my oft-on-this-podcast-mentioned girlfriend is now... My fiancé.
0: Hey, hey, congratulations.
1: So it happened last night. Uh, I asked and she said yes, and it was really cool. And she was floored and I was floored and we still find ourselves looking at each other going, this is a real thing. This is actually happening. And so, yeah, so that was yesterday.
0: (laughs) Uh, And yet he's still here, folks, recording a podcast tonight. That's what you call dedication.
1: Yes. And in fact, she, she knew that I was recording tonight. And so, when we were going to get together and talk about wedding stuff and just see each other, she's like, we'll just go for Duncan, we'll drive around for a little bit, and then you can go record with Luke. And I'm just like, I love you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the relationship, well, not starts off, but uh, at least this phase of the relationship starts on a very good note. Yep. Game store profits. Very
1: exciting. So, yeah, so, I, you know, it's kind of hard to follow that, Luke, but, you know, I'm going to throw it over to you. What, did, what have you been up to this week?
0: Uh, You know, I I mean, it's not quite the same, but uh, this week, frankly, I have done almost nothing geeky because we are prepping for the party. Our child turns eight tomorrow. Oh, man. And uh, we have all kinds of stuff right now. uh, My house is in a shambles, and uh, we'll have folks here in, oh, I don't know, what, 16 hours? (laughs) So uh, there's a a lot of work to be done. Uh, My wife especially has been... Working like crazy, and I've just been trying to uh, clear the path for her so she can get that done. I uh, still have uh, been playing Bioshock. Uh, I don't think the game's ever going to end, to be honest with you. <laughs> it just keeps on going and going and going.
1: In uh, wonderful twists and turns.
0: Yes. it. it you know what? It, it has twisted into the, wow, this game is screwed up kind of a a place at this point. <laughs> Uh, at first it was a, a, wow, this is a cool world, this is crazy, what's going on? Whoa, these people are psycho! I'm okay with that. It's starting to grate on me just a little bit. Well, like, I mentioned when we
1: actually talked about in our last episode about video games and everything like that, Bioshock, the world of Bioshock is basically around, uh, what if you took the best and brightest and took away all morality, took away all, you know, decency, and just said, do whatever you want to the best of your ability. And when you take away that guiding force of common decency and and morality and all that fun stuff, you get just jacked up individuals,
0: apparently. Yeah, well, at least if you do it underwater. Um, So (laughs) that's been interesting. Uh, Otherwise, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting, chomping at the bit. For the big games that are coming out here. Skyrim's coming out. Skyrim's coming up really, really soon. Uh, And I have a whole lot of really big things I need to get done right about the exact same time that Skyrim comes out. And this is, of course, causing a serious moral dilemma
2: (laughs) in my life.
0: Uh, But otherwise, things are going well. Things are going well. So we're moving along. So, Mike. There you go. Today we thought we'd talk a little bit about creativity, a little bit about arts, a little bit about making, and maybe a little bit about worship, and a little bit about media, and a little bit about how it is that we carry ourselves as Christians in the world. Now, I know those things seem like pretty disparate topics, but I I think we have some connections here. So, Mike, well...
1: Yeah, it Get seems like started. it seems like a lot it seems like a lot of a, a grab bag to throw together, but you know, it really does all come together just in the idea of of worship in, in and of itself. Just our philosophy of worship and and how we let that filter into our existence. Cause, you know, when when you say the word worship, I mean Luke, I we, we've all done this. Anybody who's ever set foot in in front of an audience and said, Let's talk about God has had
0: that conversation of when i say the word worship what do you think of right and everybody initially everybody, whether you mean to or not whether you're you know better or not you go to music you go to well you go to a worship service specifically and 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 often
1: that is mostly focused on music that aspect right um and so what what we wanted to do here today is talk a little bit about... Uh, I, I'm thinking it's about the, the philosophy of worship as as it comes to the creation of, of art.
0: Yeah, uh, I because think so. I- and, I, and I think as geeks, we like to create things. It's just part of us. And it may be a different thing for a different geek, but uh, whether you are creating a piece of software or whether you're creating... Uh, artwork, uh visual artwork, or whether you're creating music or whether you're doing something completely different. Geeks like to make stuff. Well, I mean you could have whole
1: the the whole it started off as just I I can't remember where the first one was. But now they've got all throughout different cities all over the, the country now you have these things called maker fair.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's that maker... true for me.
1: Oh, I would. I'm so jealous that there's one right down the street from you. Oh no, Maker. Uh, Make
0: Maker Magazine is <laughs> not not far away. It's less than an hour away.
1: Oh man, because because I I just see pictures and see video stream of these things that are called Maker Fair Maker Fair. It's hard to nail down what it is because it's it's pretty much anybody who makes stuff. Yeah, it, it is the, a celebration. Has the ability to go to Maker Fair.
0: It is a celebration of what I believe to be one of the primary. God given drives in humanity and that is the 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 drive to create. Mhm. We build Absolutely. stuff. We make stuff whether it's making a family or whether it's making a meal or making a government immediately right in the right at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. You know, we have the fall and it's terrible, but immediately right after that there's this huge boom of creative energy. And we see all of these things happening. Some of them go astray, I I, I grant you. But that's one of the things I love so much about reading Genesis is this idea that humanity is starting. That we are building from nothing, just like God did. And the problem, though, Mike, that we kind (laughs) of want to address today is that sometimes our build quality...
1: (laughs) is isn't quite what it should be. Sometimes we kind of, you know, cut some corners, and we don't really need to, you know, brace that joist all that well. We can get away
0: with it. <laughs> We can get the shoddy materials. Well, and I think that we have a culture within Christianity that not only allows that, but sometimes fosters that. accidentally fosters it. I think that's right. Um, let me give you an example from my own life. All right, I cannot sing, I can't draw a <laughs> straight line, I can't do any of those things. Okay, I am a math science type dude. So I'm in college. Uh, I went to a, a Christian college in San Diego, pretty nice place, and uh, I am studying to be a pastor. Now, most people in my life, of course, think that my decision to study to be a pastor is amazing, right? (laughs) And at that point in my life, I sure embraced that experience.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Uh, But as the uh, years went on and as my college experience went on, there was one particular group of people who weren't so keen on the idea, and those people were called my in-laws. (laughs) See <laughs> my, I, I got. Married I know how I that in, goes. I got married when I was in college, and as as much as my in laws loved the fact that I was a pastor, they also would like me to have some marketable job skills. And I'll tell you what, having looked back now, you know, about fifteen years later, they had a point. Um, but so my father in law specifically encouraged me to follow one of my other interests in life, and that was computer programming. Mm. So, I picked up a minor in computer programming. Yeah, can you imagine some dude? He's a, got a major in uh, biblical studies and a minor in computer in science. Computer? Nice. Weird. But that's who I was. And so, I'm working as a youth pastor. I have a minor in uh, computer studies. And one of the elders at the church that I worked for said, hey, I have this idea for a great video game. Would you be interested in coming alongside me and helping me to make it? Because I don't have the technical skills, but I have really great ideas. And you got to remember, this is way back when that's how video games were made. Right? Oh yeah. You didn't go to a gigantic Uber publisher who ruled the world and say, please sir, may I make this video game? It's got 7,000 media tie-ins. It was just dudes in their garages, in their offices making games.
1: And that's how you make both the best and the
0: worst yeah, games ever. So I said, that's cool. Let's do it. We go. We sit down for coffee. We, he pulls out this idea for this game.
1: <laughs> when there's that long a pause, you know it's going to be good.
0: Okay. I want you to picture the board from life. Okay. With the vibe of Trivia Pursuit. All right. And like the most insane Iwana. Like Bible knowledge people <laughs> and put them together and that was the game that he wanted me to make.
1: Oh, it sounds painful.
0: And I did start in on the project and it was a, ba- a little bit a uh, ways into the project when I realized that this is a bad, bad plan. But I have to say the dude had a good reason for wanting to do it. Because it, that that idea, the Christian video game, was really gaining popularity at the time.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that if there is one truth that we can all hold to, no matter whether you are Protestant or Catholic, whether you are uh, Wesleyan or Calvinist, we can all hold to this one truth, and that is Christian video games suck Oh, so I have... bad.
1: There's no way we can talk about this topic without me bringing up this horrifically bad experience that I had.
2: Oh, well, let's hear. Uh, let's
1: hear. When when we were when we, when I first put this up on my Facebook and we said, yeah, maybe this is a topic we should do. My buddy Wesley reminded me of the worst Christian, and I would I, it's the worst gaming experience I think I've ever had.
0: Mm, wow, that's harsh because I've had some it, bad gaming experiences.
1: Oh, I've had some doozies too, but this trumped all of them. All right, it is a little gem called Catechumen. All right, And I, good luck trying to look up the word
0: catechumen. <laughs> there's I, I probably an H to. in it somewhere.
1: I was in, I was in seminary, and I had no idea. Apparently, there's some kind of religious significance to this word. Uh, a catechumen. To...
0: It's a student.
1: ah,
3: Somebody learning
0: go. the ways of their faith. Look at you. I, I live so in Id- uh, a highly Catholic area.
1: There you go. So the idea is that you are this catechumen. And in the middle of nowhere, you're, you know, everything you do has been interrupted by the fact that the archangel Gabriel gives you a sort of faith, telling you that, that all the Roman centurions are possessed by demons, and if they weren't possessed by demons, clearly they would turn to Jesus. So your goal is to run around and shoot Roman centurions
3: with your sort of faith and basically bring them to Jesus. So, I want you to would picture this. It was this. so
0: easy.
1: I want you to picture this if you will. If you've ever played the old school game Doom,
0: uh-huh. That's or, totally what I was exper- what it was visualizing.
1: Or like Wolfenstein if it took place in, you know, ancient Rome. You would you would have the idea of what this game looks like. Now, all your weapons are loosely based on And the game was released things.
0: in 2006.
1: The The whole idea is that um, all your weapons are, are based on objects from the Bible. Like, at one point, you find the Staff of Moses. I kid you not. And it looks awful. It's, like, purple, and it has a giant ball at the end of it. Um, and each of these weapons do different things. But basically, you go around, you find Roman centurions, who want you dead. You shoot them. Now... I don't know about you, Luke, but I've played many a first-person shooter,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and oftentimes when you shoot people in a first-person shooter, they end up at some level of dead.
0: <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true.
1: This is not so in Catechumen. Well, For they, in
0: Catechumen... They die to themselves.
1: Yes, because every time you shoot them, granted, that you do have to keep shooting them because, you know, Sometimes you really
0: gotta push that message to get it to really stick in somebody's brain. Uh huh. I'm having so much fun with this. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh!
1: I've only, I've only just begun, son. You have no idea what I'm about to unleash on you. Um. So you're you're going around shooting these people with the sword of
3: faith when you get to the end of their their i I don't even know
1: what you want to call it health.
0: Their sin bar. Yes, their sin, when away. their
2: sin
1: bar is completely filled up, um, they basically drop to their knees, a light shines on them, and you hear the hallelujah chorus in the background. Wow. Every time. (laughs) Not only that, because you can't have a game that doesn't beat you over the head with scripture. In order to get your faith back, because yes, there's no health in this, it's your faith level. Mm. In In order to get your faith level back up, you have to find these scrolls that are randomly strewn about. Scrolls that have scripture on them. And what became a truly epic thing when Wes and I were tag-teaming this game was if you press the tab button,
3: it paused the game. Alright. And
1: put whatever scripture was on your scroll on the screen. Well, that's nice. It was wonderful. But it was involved with such a cheesy, awful game. Wes and I just, every time, we actually had an audience at one point. There were like four <laughs> or five of us in, in my dorm room doing this. And so anytime we, were like, we, had, we felt like it, we'd pick up a scroll, and we, you would raise your pointer finger up above your head, look to the crowd, and then all of us in unison would yell out, Scripture break! And you'd hit tab. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this game was ludicrous. At some point, you're fighting demons, but the best... The the epitome of awful about this game, which I could not dare talk about without it. Other than the fight with Satan and the fight with Satan, I'll get to because that's funny. But um, you're going through, and at one part, this is before you get to the demons and before you apparently like tunnel your way into hell. But you get you get to the point where you're going through this like Roman training area, and it's like this secret hidden. You gotta go like behind a picture or something like that. And you find this Roman training area. And then there's a bench press. <laughs> so I want you to think about like weapon racks, right. like swords and bows and arrows and things like that. And then there's a bench press. I'm like, oh, yes, it's important to pump that iron in order to <laughs> to truly serve as, in, as part of the, the legion. Um, and then you get through there, and you're going through, and and all the while you're being told uh, that that Satan has created this machine that makes demons, <laughs> and so your 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 job is to go and destroy this machine. So you're going through, you're picking up weapons, you're saving centurions, and then you get to the machine and you have to destroy it. And Wes and I are our minds are boggled because we're shooting this thing, nothing's happening, demons are sprouting out left, right, and sideways. We're shooting it. We're like. What the heck? Well then, one of us, I forget who, but one of us finds that there's this doorway that we hadn't gone through. We're like, oh, clearly there's a trick and it's down that doorway. So we turn this corner
3: and there's a uh, computer panel in ancient Rome. Yeah. And I kid you not, on an entire section of this computer panel is a giant red button that says, do not push.
1: When we came across this giant red button that says, do not push, Wes and I literally looked at each other and said, oh, it can't be. There's no way. And so there was a moment where we were just shocked by the stupidity and just dying of laughter. We go, I got to push it. Evate you push the
0: apple, brother. Evade the apple.
1: You, you push the big red button that says, do not push. And the machine blows up. <laughs> we're expecting this epic fight where you have to, like, blow it up and demons are spread. No, no. You push a big red button that says do not push. And then, to make the, the, the increasingly long story short, you finally, you, the goal is to get to Satan himself. And I'm sorry. Satan's the biggest wuss on the planet. You'd think if you were going to voice the Dark Lord of, of everything awful in the world. If you're going to create the epitome of evil, you'd have a very Dante kind of vibe going, right? hmm Like, 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 Darth Vader meets Dante is what I was expecting. What
3: you find instead is more like a bad Boris
1: Karloff with a voice like he sucked helium. Okay. But that's only at the end. In between there, you just, he sounds like this doofus. You, you're basically having Satan with a voice like, and I'm I'm not kidding. If it, Wesley, if you're listening, you're gonna have to go on our page and and verify that this is the case. The voice is something along the lines of catacumen. I'm like, are you kidding me?
2: <laughs> so oh, you finally beat him,
1: and apparently you have some kind of of uh, this epic battle where where you know soldiers with the Cairo are running across the bridge, and I'm like. This is not historically even sound, because I'm seeing Constantine and oh, it's just a horrible experience from word go. It was so bad, but but we, we demanded because we found out that there was a a, uh, a a you know in doom it was called God mode, where basically you can't take damage and you always live. so mm-hmm. we found that out and uh, and, and it was great because even when you unlocked that, you had this bad. Pseudo Southern Baptist preacher go, (laughs) Hallelujah! It's just bad. That I mean, that's what I think about as the epitome of my I can't believe we're trying to do this in the name of God kind of moments. But there are so more. You get games like Noah's Ark where you have to physically pick up animals and toss them in the boat. Yeah, like Moses, and there was one called like the Temple of Solomon for Nintendo. And it's all just cheesy knockoffs of of other games that Nintendo had already put out or another company had already put out because apparently we can't come up with individual thought. But yeah, no, Christian video
0: games, bad. But, you know, the same philosophy really does translate. Ha. <laughs> uh, you know, Christian novels.
2: <laughs>
0: there may be a few that might be worth reading. Folks, I host a book review show. People ask me all the time, why don't you do Christian novels? Because Christian novels suck.
1: I'm going to, cur- right now, and now, I we're, we're going to speak broadly here, and I'm sorry, if you're a raging fan, come tell us what the good ones are. Oh, I please. know they're out there. I know they're out there. I've read a couple, mostly because they were handed to me saying, this is a good one. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for here. As we talk about this, as we talk about these horrible games and horrible TV shows and horrible books... Well... We, we're we asking you to show us the good stuff, because and,
0: that's not the experience we have. But the point isn't that, yes, there are Christians out there who can do work and express their faith and do a really good job. Of course there are. Of that's course. That's not the problem. <laughs> the problem is that we've created a culture within the church where we we basically have decided that if we're going to put our faith into something, then the quality of the thing doesn't need to have quite the same level well here's here's
1: one thing that i will talk about and this will be my my end all and be all statement about christian books and i'll, I'll have a couple that are really good and i'll tell you these authors and they they need to be you know mentioned and, and celebrated and you need to buy their books but the other stuff that i've experienced is going to be something along this line you're going to walk through the christian fiction section of your local bookstore and the vast majority the overwhelming just avalanche of your titles and your covers are going to look something like this. The main character is going to be a young girl. She will either be Amish or a pioneer out west. (laughs) There will be some kind of dashing, roguish-looking gentleman who's just blown in from some other part of town. And he's a bad boy, but she knows that she can bring him to Jesus. And of course she does, and of course they end up getting married at the end of it. I have now summarized
3: 90% of the Christian
0: fiction that's out there. So, uh, in 2010, I did a project called 52 Weeks of Geek. 52 books, 52 movies, 52 video games in one year. And somewhere along the year, I got into my head, I am going to do a Christian book. So, I'll admit, okay, I will totally admit, I'm not familiar with Christian pop culture, okay? I just avoid it in general. Um, But, so I go, and I go to Amazon, and I go to the Christian section, and I do the top ten, right? What's the best Christian book out there? I'm going to read that, and I'm going to review it for this project.
1: Okay, sounds like a
0: logical way to go about right. things. Every single one of the top ten was the book you just described. (laughs) And that's sad. Fine, okay. Next, ten to twenty, or eleven to twenty. All the way down to seventeen was the book that you just described. And do you know what book seventeen was? It's the second book in the Christian pantheon. A sword of truth warrior hero who has to go and vanquish demons. Naturally. Yeah. That's all there is. Okay. What happened to GK Chesterton? What happened to George MacDonald? What happened to C.S. Lewis? To Tolkien. These guys were good. <laughs> yeah. And you know, some of Tolkien's especially his specifically rigid religious writing, some of the best religious writing I've ever read ever. I mean, never mind C.S. Lewis. Right? Everything C.S. Lewis wrote was ingenious. Uh, But we allow too much. Now, Mike, I think, though, that the next step we take in this conversation is to say, all right, so, yeah, we have this culture. We give people a pass. We let, you know, we let the, the, the kind of the kid who's still learning how to play the trumpet play during the worship service. Yeah, that's fine. What does it do to the world around us? And well, what see, happens when we are categorized by the world according to those who are loudest and who are expressing their faith in ways that are kind of ridiculous?
1: Well, this is this is a time when I want to... Have you ever seen the... I mean, the sad thing is, is it's kind of considered an old TV show. I don't even know if it's still on the air. It might be, but I doubt it. A uh, little show by the name of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, Yeah. It, it's a wonderful it's show, a, a, uh, like a improv.
3: It's sure. an improv show, right?
2: Uh-huh.
1: Well, there in some of the older versions, there was in one of the many different games they play that it was called genres. And in genres, what they had to do was they had to act out a scene that the audience would yell out. However, whoever was was running the show, there's a British version and an American version, and the American version it's Drew Carey. So Drew Carey would shout out a genre. And they had to, they're still doing the same scene, but they had to act out that scene to fit that genre. So, one of the scenes, one of the genres that they had to do that was brought up almost every time they did it was nativity play.
0: Hmm. Now,
1: every every time they did nativity play, it was always the same. The action was stilted. Some guy was usually off and picking his nose when he had to be saying lines. Um, there's usually just, just every bad thing that could possibly happen in a production was happening. Now, I think a lot of that is, is brought on by the fact that we've allowed this to be our culture and the way people see us. Because we've come up with this idea that you know anybody who's even remotely good at something, and even as long as they're trying, It's all about making sure that, you know, they're trying, they're really giving it their all. We're going to give them a center stage front, you know, just the most important part and they're going to try. Now, you know, there are times when I'm very mixed about this. You know, I, I work with teens and I work with younger kids too. And, and I have to say that every once in a while I do want to, you know, push a kid into something that you know, to, you know, I think is really helpful and useful and something that I think they'd really like, but they're not necessarily good at it to, you know, that's how you grow. You try new stuff. However, when we allow this to really influence our, our worship and, and how many times if, if I say this to our audience, you know, if I say the word special music, hmm. one of two things comes to your mind. You'll either think about that wonderful time when that person who, is pretty much a professional but not getting paid for it, got up there and sang this amazing piece that they'd written themselves and it was gorgeous and And everyone just were demanding that they come back and do that again. And then there's the more common reaction when I say the word special music. It's somebody's cousin who happened to learn how to play piano who plays the most horrific rendition of Amazing Grace you're ever gonna hear ever. And we applaud saying, oh my goodness, they it's just so it's so wonderful. I love the fact that they just got up there and did it so well. And my problem with that is, is that this is our worship of God. This we we've we've brought down the standard of this is important. We've brought we've brought ourselves down from, you know, cathedrals where symphonies are being created masses are being just just penned by the greatest artists you know art artists musicians everything uh our churches are are covered with the greatest art the greatest sculpture you know everything we 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 demand excellence to
3: oh
0: it's so great that they're trying and i don't know luke i don't know about you but that gets to me yeah it does and I, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of torn because I, I I do want everybody to be able to express their act of worship, but there is a difference between your worshipful lifestyle and our corporate communication. Mm. And so, I mean, I think we can go one of two ways on this. Uh, we can talk about what it means to present our work to God. Okay, but the other aspect of that is that we can talk about what it means to present our work to the world.
2: Mm. Because
0: we do have a public face. And I think, I believe, that Christians, the individual Christians, we ignore the responsibility of the public face of the church. Let me give you a couple examples.
1: I'm sure there are many.
3: Um, I'm going to start with the easy one. Okay. And that is your
1: crazy, anti-everybody weirdos, right? We don't need to name them because you know, you know exactly who, they are. who we're yeah, talking yeah, all right, about. Right,
0: whatever. And we don't want to give them any more publicity right. than they already have. Everybody I know goes, oh, well, that's not us. And just completely severs that, those groups outside of Christianity. So, okay, it's not us. I don't believe that way. I don't act that way. I don't know anybody who does. And if I did, I wouldn't know him anymore. <laughs> okay? But here's the problem. We don't get to define the boundaries of Christianity. You know, in the same way that you can't say of, you know, one of my children. If one of my children is acting out, I couldn't go and say, oh, well, that's not us. It is right. us. We're family. They, we live in the same house. I, they're my responsibility, and maybe other worshippers aren't our responsibility, but we're the same house. We're the same family. And so their actions, which are always nowadays the loudest of the voices, define the public face of Christianity. And so people get up in arms that, that TV, the movies, the news, Present the average Christian as a racist, sexist yokel. Guess what? That's all they know. Right. And we can say, oh, that's not us, that's not us, but the fact of the matter is, it is us. And we may not like that, but we don't get to make that decision. Everyone out there who doesn't understand the church, who's not involved in the church, who doesn't know Christ, is going to look at us and the crazies in the same view. And so when we come along and we present ourselves as makers of a crazy religious video game, or when we applaud those who do, we, we're not just trying to encourage people within the flock, we're presenting ourselves to those outside. And I think that you know it's instructive that the temple was a beautiful
3: place, right? When oh, yeah. It's created from the that yeah. the, the music that was created by Hebrew worshipers was a beautiful thing. And we are meant not just to try.
0: Hey, we all need to try, right? I get that. But we are meant to bring God the best... We can bring him and you know when we allow that that level to come down to bringing god whatever we happen to have we're starting to get into some not so good territory
1: and there's there's an important line that i want to draw here and this is from you know you told a story from your your experience and this is going to be one from mine um i in the church i was at before i'm where i'm at now um it's a smaller church. Even now that I've left it, it still is smaller. It's not as small as it was when I was there. But one thing that we constantly did was bring in, you know, they had the youth group bring in all these dramas and stuff. And now, if you ever worked with kids and you've ever seen the dramas that are out there, there are, like, like, like we were talking about with books, there are good ones, but the overwhelming majority are really cheesy. And so I, I took it upon myself to be like, I'm going to write them. I, I have a talent for writing. I've spent, I spent most of junior high and high school and even half of college on the stage. So I'm going to write them. They're not, I mean, I'm not, you know, composing Shakespearean plays here. I'm making little three minute dramas. And so we did, I did this one for Christmas and it was really cool. And I was really proud of it. And I I recruited, I, I pretty much handpicked some of the kids from the youth group to to help me out and put this on. And it was Reader's Theater, so it was great. I mean, it was going to be crisp, and it was going to be clean, and it was going to be awesome. And when we got started, the kids were just, they didn't prepare. They weren't there, you know, mentally. And so, and their reading was just really stilted, and they—they they not couldn't, they couldn't put it together. And, you know, that always happens at first, but we were talking, like, you know, the week before we were supposed to do this in church. And so I had the ability to say, well, we're just going to do the best we can. But I wasn't there just to, you know, do a phony version of the best we can. I was there to get these kids and myself to literally do the best we could. And I know I wasn't, I knew I wasn't getting that.
3: So I sat the kids down and I said, guys, here's the deal. We do this in a week. And if you want to do it like
1: this, I'm going to tell the elders we're doing something else. And all the kids were just, they were shocked. Their jaws dropped. And I go, no, no, I'm not kidding. I said, I would rather do anything else than to have you guys get up here and do this. Because this is not what we're called to do. And I kid you not, I I put that standard out there. I said, you can do better. Not in a mean way, not in a, this is my masterpiece. You need to step it up because you're not doing it the way I expect you to. But in a, I want you to do the best you can, and I know your best is better than this. And by raising that standard, by telling them it's either you need to do it right, or we get we need to do something else. Every one of those kids did an amazing job. Now, was it great? Was it you know we're gonna go we're gonna take this on the road? We're gonna end up in Carnegie Hall? No, it's a bunch of teenagers doing readers theater, which we we spent maybe like you know, a a couple of nights for a couple of hours at a shot, you know, maybe the month leading up to it. So it was, it wasn't great, but it was the best we could do with what we had. And I knew it was the best. And And the kids were, were digging deep and they were really putting forth an effort and they were really excited about it by the time we got it done. And I was so proud of those guys because while it might not have been Shakespeare, it was a solid performance. And I think the problem is, is that by, by telling people you can do whatever and no one's going to, you know, we don't care. We're just doing it because, you know, we're, you know, we, we got to do something and somebody's going to get a kick out of the kids doing something. I challenge them to really treat it as worship. And, you know, it, I, you know, I, that's what I want to see. I want to see a church service where even if it's not the best of the best, it's solid.
3: It's
0: quality. And you can just come away from it saying, these people love God. And I think we want to make the point that we're not saying that the only people who should do worship or worship-like acts are those who are talented. You know, the ones with the beautiful voice or the amazing gift at writing or the ability to create an amazing visual piece of art. What we're saying is that if you're going to worship God, you should work hard Mm -hmm. you should give it everything that you have so let's let's twist it just a little bit let's it's been a downer show let's make it an upper show here
1: (laughs) let's let's bring it
0: let's bring it to a happy place uh and and talk about uh, what does that mean for each of us on a day-to-day kind of a kind of a basis now i'm gonna show my age a little bit here is that okay Um, we've all done it
1: at one point or another
0: and uh, talk about a musician a christian musician that that i actually really like uh, called Stephen Curtis Chapman. And I-, I hope that everybody who's listening to this knows who he is. If not, I am really am old. Uh, <laughs> but I, I kind of grew up with him and uh, listened to his music through various states in my life. Do you ever have any of those artists, man, that-, that like seem to be, if not at the exact same state as you are, like maybe three or four or five years ahead of you? And mm. you kinda, you're kind of following along as their music or their books or whatever it is represents their life and in a way is instructive in your life, well, that he's one of those guys for my wife and I. Okay. And And uh, he's got a new album out. And the first song in the album, man, it hits me so hard. Uh, one of the things I love about Stephen Curtis Chapman is, is he's a heck of a preacher, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, so the first song in the album, uh, is it's called Do Everything, and it's basically a sermon to housewives. And those who don't know, a, a few years back, I realized that I was spending way not enough time with my kids, my life was completely out of whack, and so I stepped out of everything that I was doing to become a stay-at-home dad and focus on the life of my kids. They're both now off in school, so I'm changing and getting back involved in things, but I spent. A couple of years where my entire existence was a housewife, <laughs> uh, even though I happen to be a house <laughs> husband. Um, and boy, how did this song hit me? Because the basic message of this song is you do everything as an act of worship, and that means you do everything to the best of your ability as as work, as service to God. And so, the question I guess I have for the audience and for myself and and that is what is it that you do great, and maybe you don't even have an answer to that question and then, okay, so what is it that you are working hard to do greatly, and I think that for those of us who one follow Jesus and two consider ourselves geeks, that's such an important question to answer. Ask an answer: What do you do great? what do you love? What did God design you? put you here to do and to pour your life in as an act of worship to him. That's what we're talking about.
1: So if you're going to do something, do it great. And I, I think that it, it's really important to to have this out there because this is, I mean, whether we, like, Luke, Luke hinted at it earlier, it, what, what people see is what we put out there to be seen. And, and I have to tell you that, you know, a lot of times I talk about uh, different stuff, and I'm I'm hurt really by what Christians say about different artists. Now, granted, there's plenty of things that can be said about different people, but I'm talking about you know really good, really talented, not anything that's you know against God, and and people are just slamming them because they're not Christian enough. I'll I'll do one that I was really interesting to me. Was uh, a band, and they're they're still out there. They're still putting out new stuff. Uh, a band called Evanescence. Mm-hmm. I love Evanescence. Their their music is great. Their lead singer has a voice that is just that pierces the darkness. This this woman, uh, Amy Lee, she yeah. I mean, I I hear I heard her voice, and I was just like, I'm gonna buy every album these people put out. Now there are some of the lyrics that you know they 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 can depending on how you listen to them, depending on how you interpret them, you can have a very Christian understanding of them That's not how they were written. that's not how they were intended and so when evanescence first came out they were they were toted by a lot of people as a good Christian band they were on Christian radio they were on Christian radio, and it didn't hurt you know it didn't help the fact that one of their songs, one of their most famous songs they, they brought in another singer from a band called 12 Stones. 12 Stones definitely is a Christian band. And so when they saw all this, they're like, oh my goodness, it's mainstream popularity and they're people who love Jesus. Oh my goodness. For about a year, I heard nothing but radio uh, uh, interviews and read articles about how the, the, the people from Evanescence were so downright pissed. That they got classified as a Christian artist. Now. I don't know how much of that is their own faith statement. Versus they just are upset. Because there are bands that are Christian. That hate being called Christian artists. You want to know why that is? Because people have an understanding of what it means to be a Christian artist.
0: Like Christian games. Like Christian books.
1: It sucks. Right. And, and if you ever want a good. I I love. South Park. I can't always handle it. And usually what happens is, is I'll find out what the topic is and then figure out if it's worth watching or not. And one of them that was great was that Cartman got on there and he said that he was going to make the most popular boy band ever. And to make the most popular boy band ever, he was going to make a Christian boy band. And he decided that everything he was going to do was in order to be a popular Christian boy band, all you had to do was write songs write the same love songs that everyone else is writing but instead of you know talking about your boyfriend talking about your girlfriend you talk about Jesus and so he was he was singing these songs that are basically horrible like above and beyond anything that would show up on radio and instead of of saying girl he said Jesus or spirit or whatever and i the more i watched this episode the more I realized if you take the vast majority of what's considered popular Christian music and replace Jesus with girl, the formula works more than it doesn't. And there's also, I, I've also had um, one kid that was amazing. He's not a kid anymore. He's married and he's a wonderful person and I love this guy. Um, he, he's an amazingly talented guitar player and he writes songs and i and he's playing in a band right now and uh just an amazing dude but all i for the most of my time that i knew him he was just playing worship songs and worship songs are basically three chords and if you learn those three chords you can play all worship songs ever then i heard him at in a school performance play rocking songs and just amazingly just just classics and
3: afterwards i walked up to him and i said tyler here's the deal i don't want you to stop playing worship music
1: but every once in a while i need you to stop playing worship music for a little bit and play stuff like this because this is how you show
3: people what it means To be good at something for
2: God. Hmm. Well, there is the question, isn't it?
3: What is... uh, You can't answer questions like this, but what is
0: more worshipful? Doing something to sort of cram Jesus into whatever it is that your talent is. To dumb down your ability. To make it work within a Christian context. Or doing something
1: great. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's something that we can nail down an answer for. That's no, not something think so. that we're going to wrap we, up here. It's something we need to think about. I think it's something that everybody should wrestle with. Yeah. Because you, you, you balance the difference between something that's accessible to everybody versus something that is, is truly magnificent because God is, he deserves it.
0: So, and it's in the balance of these two things that I think we need to be. So, i can give you just an example. Uh, I mentioned Stephen Curtis Chapman earlier. A few months back, I went to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. So, this concert was a little bit different
2: than most. Dude, on the stage, with a chair, and an acoustic guitar. That's okay. it. Okay? One guy, on the stage, chair,
0: acoustic guitar. One of the best musicians I have ever heard in my life. Mm. This man's skill set is ridiculous. Ridiculous. People could call out songs. He could totally change the style of songs. It sounded like an orchestra was playing. One guy, one acoustic guitar. You know what? You never hear that on his albums. Because that's not what he's doing. It's very similar to the, the example you used with Tyler. You don't hear that on the albums. But you know this guy has dedicated his entire life to his craft. To his ministry, yes, but to his craft. And I think it's also instructional that when you go back into those early parts of uh, the Old Testament, you're going to find, and if you dig and you do your homework, what you will find is that worship... Was a craft. These Mm -hmm. were skilled artisans, skilled musicians who made their life work being able to do worship. And whether or not we are doing it in the church, whether or not we are doing it for a crowd, life ought to be a craft. Life ought to be something where we work hard to do it well as an act, as a gift to God. We do that. I think we change the face of Christianity, man. I really do.
1: Well, yeah, I I had a great conversation with a a Bible study that I did, and we were going through Corinthians, and we're just going through it chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter, and we get to the part where it talks about spiritual gifts, and there's a list. There's a list of spiritual gifts, and if you've ever taken a spiritual gifts inventory, if you've ever spent any time in a church that has any understanding about the spiritual gifts. You know what I'm talking about. There's a a very set, very defined list of what these are.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I challenge these guys, and I'm like, is there anywhere here that says that these are the only ones? This is a closed set. These are fine examples. These are wonderful examples. And I think they are useful for helping us understand how God has equipped us to meet the needs of people. But I don't think they're the only ones. And the guys were, you know, just really confused because I I love doing that to them. I, you know, I love these guys to death and I had a hobby of just making them just dumbfounded because I asked them questions that they've never been asked before. And uh, I said, what are some other things that aren't on this list? And we got into the nature of what a spiritual gift was, what spiritual gift was, what it is, and the purpose behind them. The purpose behind them is to equip the saints, basically. It's us ministering to the needs of others. We are e- equipped by God to go out and serve each other. It's for the building up of the body. So I said, "Have you ever thought about anything else that can be done like that?" And and I said, "I said, you want to know something that I think is a spiritual gift that God has really just laid on me? My writing." And and
3: they were like, R- "Really?" And I said, "Yeah." Am I am I
1: perfect at it? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you this much: there have been times when my writing has has brought me into the company mm-hmm. of others, and my my writing has spoken truth into the lives of others that my speech and my sermonizing and everything else won't do. One of the best moments I ever had was I, I used to go to when I when when I was in Dallas. I went to this this little coffee house that was right in the middle of of Deep Ellum. And if you've ever been to Dallas, Texas, you know what Deep Ellum's like. It is the combination of the scariest part of Dallas and the most beautiful part of Dallas, because it's where the artists hang out. And I would go to this coffee house all the time, and I would read poetry. And when you have, you know, poetry readings, and the the owner of this place was Christian, and so there were certain rules and everything like that, when you have a, a situation like that, you know, you, you always get the people who rebel, and you always get that one Christian guy who's like, ooh, it's a Christian coffee house, and they do an open mic night. I'm going to bring this, and it's just, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus. Well, there was one night when there, there weren't really that many poets. It was me, the MC, and one other guy. So, it was a slow night all around, so we just said, you know what, rather than bust out the mic... Rather than do a whole big show for, you know, how about we just sit at this table and just share our stuff? And I was on cloud nine. I was giddy and I'm just going through and this other guy, uh, it was funny. We, we joked back and forth that we were stealing each other's material because I would read one of mine and he would go, Oh, that, that is awesome right there. You know what? That reminds me of this one of mine. And he'd take his notebook out and he'd flip back and forth, flip back and forth. And then he'd read his. And he'd read one, another one of his. And I'd go, oh, my, I've got one that's just like that. Let me go to mine. And we just went back and forth like that for 40 minutes. Well, this guy comes in off the street.
3: And he starts preaching. He starts saying, you know, do
1: you guys know Jesus? Do you guys love Jesus? And I just watch as this guy I've been riffing with with poetry for the past, you know, pretty close to an hour goes, ah, oh, here we go. And just his shoulders dropped and he just hated his life hmm. while this guy was there. And the guy eventually left and we get back to poetry and we read for another like 20 minutes and the, the, we actually close the coffee house down. And as I'm leaving the the guy who was running, who, who was emceeing that night, he knew me. I'd been there a couple times already. And he goes, Hey, you go to school around here, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I go to sc- I go to grad school just around the corner. And the guy's ears perked up, and he's like, oh, you go to grad school? That's cool. You go to, like, SMU or something? I go, no, Dallas Theological Seminary. And he just, his jaw dropped, and he just goes,
3: huh, and I promise you
1: that more was done for the glory of God in that guy's mind by sharing poetry with me than that dude who walked in off the street and says, you guys love Jesus? And so that, stuff like that, I'm not condemning that guy. I know plenty of street preachers who do amazing stuff. And God is totally using them. But that's not how I'm wired. I'm wired to share what I do and speak the love of Christ into the lives of others. And that night I was doing it through poetry. And not once did I say the name of God before we talked about school.
0: Oh, well, Mike, I think that's a good place to wrap up the show. So how can yeah. folks find out a little bit more about you?
1: Well, before, before I, uh, I talk about where they're going to find me, I want to just give a shout out All right. um, to the website. The website that had the article that pretty much, I don't know, birthed this idea in us to do this episode. Um, the, our very first episode, I mentioned uh, the fact that at, when I went to the Steampunk World's Fair last year, I met a, a wonderful woman named Stephanie. And she was basically... It was right around the time when Harold Camping first said the world was going to end. And she, you know... So we endured a weekend of just Christian bashing and God bashing and all that. And she came up to me just in tears. By the time we were done talking, she was in tears. Because she's like, I just don't know how to handle being who I am. And loving God in a place... Like, I love being in this place. I love being who i am and geeking out and stuff like this but it's just hard when this is it seems so against what i believe and we prayed and everything like that i this woman is amazing and she runs a website called social hazards that's hazards with a z at the end.com. uh she wrote a a blog post just about the way that christians are portrayed in the media and that's how we got this idea And the things that I, I I mean, there's so many different things on this website that I could point to as to why I think listeners to us would love her website. Um, Some of the taglines that you see here are social hazards for the freaks, geeks, and misfits in the body of Christ. And I I love this stuff. And, you know, there's another one that says, uh, for Christians who don't look like Christians. And there's so much stuff on here. She interviews bands. You know, we're talking about about just the, the the idea of the Christian artist. She interviews bands like Blindside, and she interviews some major, major bands. And I really want people to go to her website because it's really awesome and not enough people go to it. So before I talk about me, go there. Socialhazards.com, that's with a Z. Go there and see the awesome. Cool. That being said, that being said, uh, me, you can go to tinkerstory.com. It's kind of my hub for everything. You'll find all sorts of contacts on there and things like that. Um, I actually uh, I created a, another blog just because WordPress is awesome and you can create blogs for free. Um, but it was spawned because of the fact that there are uh, a handful of kids in my youth group that are really into NaNoWriMo. For those of you who don't know, that's National Novel Writing Month which is the month of November where people all over the country, if not the world, sit down and and over the the course of the month of november uh basically vow to write 50,000 words of a novel uh so i created a website for them but it i'm going to open it up to everybody it's called uh it's at worldbuildersguild.wordpress.com and it's going to be a place where people can can sign up and can contribute and put out stuff like characters and and plot lines and you can ask other other writers what what you're doing and and ask for assistance try and get over blocks and stuff like that definitely check that out i'd love it if that becomes more than just a we're going to do this cool thing with my youth group for the month of november uh because i think that there's something about getting together and sharing ideas like an online writing circle so definitely check that out too and yeah, I, I'm on Twitter and all that, but that's on TinkerStory.com, so I'm going to stop talking for now.
0: <laughs> Luke, what about you? Where can people find you? You can find me at uh, 52weeksofgeek.com or over at guyscanread.com, and uh, you follow me on Twitter at Luke Navarro. You can find out more about this show by going to GameStoreProfits.com or Facebook.com slash GameStoreProfits. As always, we want to thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you so much for listening and uh, remind you that God is the Game Master and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.